We remain standing for our gospel lesson this morning, which follows on the heels of Easter Sunday's reading about Easter night when Jesus appeared to the disciples in the locked room. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, Jesus' disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. John then adds, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Let's bow together and pray. We pray that you breathe Holy Spirit on us this day. That more than singing or sermonizing or even scripture reading, the sacred word might find its home in our hearts and awaken us to the power of Easter all over again. In the name of the risen one, Christ the Lord, we pray. Among the many things I love about you as a community of faith, one of the things that I can say about Highland is that we are not a very clicky church. We don't have little pockets of people who gossip and talk or try to wield power or control. But there is at least one, I'm sure many groups, that have this unique and unspoken bond. The one I'm thinking of this morning are those people from our congregation who over the years have gone to the northwestern African country of Morocco and seen the plight of refugees coming from sub-Saharan Africa. Those who have seen the horror know the experience and know that even if they weren't on the same trip, we hold this bond in common. Most of us have had that experience of some kind of bond that brings people together, some shared, profound, dramatic experience. It may be with a friend or it may have been with a total stranger, but you know you've shared something profound and unique. Whether it's negative, whether whether you were a, a soldier in the war, 
or whether you're a parent who's lost a child or whether you struggle from addiction, you know that bond that you have with others who have seen and been where you are. It connects you. It may have been something positive, a shared goal of graduating or, or winning a game or finishing a project. It may be something like being called into the ministry or even something as pedestrian as, as, as attending a concert together where the magic happens and you leave and you know that some kind of community has been formed because we were there together. We heard it. We felt it. We both get it. It's why we are the way we are because we were both there. We went through it and we understand its effect. And so there's this band of brotherhood or sisters for life that forms. This morning our scripture readings all share this theme of community and the importance of it for the life of faith. Emily read this odd passage from Psalm 121 about oil going down Aaron's beard, which sounds kind of nasty to you and me, but the point in that dusty and dry day was that's how, how healing unity is. How important, how sacred, how pleasant and good it is when we dwell together in a unity. The fourth chapter of Acts. This Easter crowd, these people who have witnessed the resurrection are so profoundly changed that ownership doesn't mean what it used to. They share what they have in common. What's mine is yours. I'll share it. It's all about Easter. They didn't just become nice people. They became changed people. Then the reading from the Gospel of John, where Jesus appears to the disciples, but Thomas misses it. He wasn't there. We don't know where he was. He just wasn't there that day. He didn't share that experience. I love how John notes, a week later, they're still together, and Thomas is still with them. And he gets to have that shared experience that is so vital for people of faith. And I love Jesus' words, blessed are you and me. We don't see, but we've come to believe. We're part of that community. And then finally, the words from 1 John that called us to worship and led us in confession and out of confession. Notice the words are always in the plural. It's what we see. It's what we know. It's what we've come to believe and experience. And so I want to suggest this morning that in a culture of radical individualism, where people join groups less and less, where people show up for things like church less and less, perhaps because they fear disappointment or because they fear being asked to make a commitment to something, what we do when we gather is a countercultural activity. We are gathered as people who have been awakened to the God of Easter, the God who raises the dead to life again. And it's so transforming that, that we're different people. It's as if we're on this island of resurrection where we need each other to reinforce and encourage that which the rest of the world doesn't see and doesn't fully understand. I don't think this is a big surprise. 
For the truth is that we are surrounded by the powers and the principalities, as Paul put it, who peddle in death and despair, in fear and in hatred. The Apostle Paul put it this way, that we're surrounded by this body of sin and death. Thomas Merton referred to it as our false selves. Freud referred to it as our ego. Or in religion, we often refer to it as the devil. Those things that try to say to us, these messages, subtle and not so subtle, that argue the opposite side, that say, in effect, there is no God. There's no hope. There's no energy of love. There's no sacredness to life. Voices that will say you're not your brother's keeper. That it's every man and woman for himself or herself. Don't worry about the environment. Don't worry about sweatshops. That's someone else's problem. That's not your problem. Voices that tell you, you don't need to love your enemy. You can demonize your enemy. You don't need to tell the truth. And to the victor goes the spoils. That there's no room for love. It asks too many questions, raises too many objections, and it disturbs our peace. These messages come to us all the time. We're surrounded by them. And so we who have experienced in some way this awakening to God, to life, to beauty, to possibilities, we live on this island of resurrection, not as elitist, not as some kind of exclusive club, but we realize that it's impossible For those who aren't part of this community, and I don't just mean Highland, I mean people who see life and its possibilities. That if you're not part of this this vision, you cannot understand it. You cannot believe it. You can't appreciate its intimacy and sacredness. You can't understand this life-altering, paradigm-shifting new operating system that is Easter. So we need each other. We need resurrection-affected people, people who see us and get us and understand why we are the way we are, why we believe the things that we believe. We believe that even amidst suffering, even amidst pain, God is present, life is present, hope is present. We believe that even within our human limitations, all of our fears and all of our doubts, all of our proclivities to sin, that there's still beauty. There's still possibility. There's still the real hope that you and I can be, in the words of Jesus, born again, born from above. Folks, church needs to be This island of resurrection, where we don't just say hello to each other and slosh a little coffee around in Fellowship Hall. Rather, this place needs to be where God is named, where hope is held up, where resurrection is our operating system. And so we live differently because of what we believe church should infuse, this faith should infuse our whole lives. It should seep into every place we live and influence everything we do. And it feels to me that without this community, without this 
encouragement of love, we can be far too easily dissuaded that what we see and what we experience and what we know in our core somehow is not true or valid. The rationalist will give us the facts. The nihilist will say nothing matters. Those who are out there in what the AA program calls stinking thinking will offer their ways of looking into this world. And unless we're vigilant and wise, we will slide off this island and into the chaos. And so we return to this resurrection island where God is named, where the bread is broken, where the community establishes again and again, here's who we are. Here's why we are. Here's what we do. Here's how we proclaim and live. We're called into this place where we can see more clearly. Marilyn Robinson wrote a book some years ago, a beautiful book called Gilead. Gilead was the name of a little Iowa town where John Ames had been born, raised in the parsonage, became a pastor himself, and had been a faithful pastor for many, many years. But now he finds himself with a terminal illness and reflecting on his life and the things that he says. So he's reflecting on his Pentecost sermon given a few weeks earlier where he said, it seems to me the Lord breathes on this poor gray ember of creation, planet Earth, and turns it into radiance for moments or maybe for years or maybe for the span of life, and then it sinks back into itself again to look at it. No one would know that it had anything to do with light and fire. But wherever you turn your eyes, the world can shine like transfiguration. You don't have to bring a thing to it except a little willingness to see it. Only, who could have the courage to see it? We strengthen one another. We give each other courage to see, to experience, to believe, to live into the resurrection. And it comes by way of this resurrection island. I love the story in Exodus chapter 17 where Moses has led the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt and on toward the promised land, but they're not there yet, and the people are frustrated and begin to question him. Why are we out here in the desert where there's no water? So Moses goes to God and says, the people are going to mutiny for there's no water. And God reminds Moses, what are you holding in your hand? It's the staff of God, the symbol of my presence with you. The staff that you used to make the plagues happen in Pharaoh's land. The staff that was used to part the Red Sea so that you could walk through it. It's in your hand. Strike the rock with the staff and the water will appear. And it appears. But then the very next verse says, Then Amalek wanted to fight with Israel. Even amidst all the beauty, there's this challenge. There's always this challenge. 
And Moses says to the people, I will stand on the hill and I will hold up the staff of God, symbol of the presence of God, and we will win this battle. And sure enough, Moses stood off to the side on the hill as the battle took place in front of him on the plain. He held up the staff and as he held it up, they were victorious in battle. But as the battle waged on, his arms began to grow heavy and the staff began to be lowered. And as it was lowered, they began to lose the battle. And along came Aaron and Hur, who first rolled a stone behind Moses that he might sit down. And then they went, one on his left and one on his right, and held up Moses' arms as Moses held the staff. And they were victorious. Folks, I don't need to tell you there's a lot of Amalekites out there wanting to pick a fight with us. We are surrounded by them. And Easter's energy can wane. And the larger vision of who we are as the people of God can be blurred by what one author called the tyranny of the urgent. Those little things that distract us and dissuade us. How we need each other. How we need this kind of moment. And those people who come alongside us slide the sitting rock beneath us and hold our arms up when ours are too tired so that we can keep bearing witness and fight the good fight of faith that God always wants you to win. Love wins. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And so this morning, the table for us is not only a table of communing with God. It is a table of communing with each other. This communion service, we will bring the elements to you, which gives us the opportunity to eat together as the body of Christ and drink together. So let us uh, receive the good gifts of God. They are here for all, whether you're a member of this church or another church or no church. If you are Christ and you are hungry for God, you are invited to receive. Let's prepare now to come to this table as we stand together and turn to friends and strangers and exchange the peace of Christ. May the peace of Christ be with you all and also with you.